Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Emilio Diaz. I'm here with Andy Gramuga. Number one being back at home, Stan Cullen Ashley. That's right, folks. We're back at home and we're here to discuss we're recording, the movie. Yeah, lo- recording at our own places once again. Yeah, back at home, back at good, nice home. We are here to talk about the films we saw at New York Film Festival that we do- did not get to talk about on our last dispatch. So as we saw on our last dispatch, we talked about films such as Bad Luck Banging and Looney Porn. Some of us talked about Benedetta. Some of us talked about um, Bergman Island, Worst Person in the World. And there will be some discussion of some of those movies by people who did not get to talk about them when they were seen last. But also we're going to talk about wholly new movies. Yeah, and I believe they continued to premiere new movies at the film festival over the yes, course of the week. Yes, they keep playing new stuff, and we kept watching it. And, and they, yeah, they're still playing them now, and uh, that's yeah. why uh, Jesse's not on the podcast right now because she's still in New York. She's still uh, in New York watching movies, and being is in, and is the victim of uh, poor Wi-Fi at an Airbnb or whatever wherever she is. Yeah. So, first film we're going to talk about, I think it is the earliest film we all watched that we did not include on our last episode is. The Souvenir Part 2. The only screening all four of us were at. Together. Yeah, three of us were in the back row with friend of the show, Alec, and uh, Jesse was near the front next (laughs) to Vicky Creeks. (laughs) We, uh, I mean, yeah, we had saved a seat for her, and she did not inquire as to whether we had done that or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Celebrity guest at our screening, uh, Vicky Creeps. That's true, Vicky Creeps. She was uh, all around town. We saw, like, six times around the festival, Mm -hmm. taking pictures with Matt and Aglia. (laughs) Cullen's getting into her uh, Instagram, I believe, Uh, uh, I mean, look, everyone's into the Instagram now. It's been it's been public popularized on it. Has Twitter. it? But we don't uh, need to get into that. What we do need to get into is, is maybe how, what the best this, movie of the festival, right? How the Souvenir Part Two is a fucking tremendous motion picture. <laughs> yeah, Andy, you love it. Go 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 hard. I Talk really loved it. it. Yeah, I mean, I liked Souvenir Part One a lot when I saw it. Like, I saw that at my local art house. I've only seen it the once. Um, I didn't revisit right before the festival, although I had thought of doing so, but then you know how things get. We're, life's busy, et cetera, et cetera. You don't care. Um, uh, but yeah, this movie, it, it picks up pretty much right where Souvenir Part 1 leaves off. It's the continuing story of uh, a Joanna Hogg's stand-in for herself, uh, played by Honor Swittenburn, uh, uh-huh. and her her family, and, and her attempts to to make a movie and uh i really loved it i thought like it, it it's I, I had a sort of similar arc to the souvenir part one where like i was like not sure what it was doing for like the first maybe quarter third of the runtime or something like that and then like once i sort of keyed into like oh this is like what the like actual thing this movie is like interested in is about is uh i got really excited like with the first one it was like, oh, this is a movie about how, like, this guy is no good and, like, is, like, 
how challenging he is to be to be have a be a part of your life and then this this one it's like oh this one is actually about like how she's like not a great director yet and like doesn't quite know like and and how like the way that she's processing things in her art is like is something that is still a work in progress and i thought it was really really exciting and really breathtaking it takes uh it takes some turns towards the end that are very exciting that we probably won't spoil here we are going to talk about it much more i believe on an episode in the future yeah um give it the full give it the full treatment um but yeah i was i was really blown away by it i i i, I thought it was really spectacular colin yeah, yeah i mean i agree i also lo- loved it a lot um it's something of a marvel i think that she was able to pull off what she pulls off in the movie and like without getting too much into it you know we talked about bergman island we talked about segua diaries which are also sort of these meta narratives and i feel like souvenir 2 is maybe the most audacious of the three where like uh, Segua Diaries is like formally very exciting, um, and I think that Bergman Island does a lot of interesting look into what it must be like to be that person. But Souvenir Part Two, the personality of it feels much more obvious than it does in Bergman Island, where like it is such a it's insane. Like we, I've, I, I keep talking to everyone I talk to about this movie that it's like crazy to me that it was uh, written as one movie, uh, and mm-hmm. then she split it up and she was like, "This has to be two movies," because the second part feels like such a reaction to the reaction of the first part, but it's also such a clear like it picks up like literally where the first one ends, um, and it just the, i mean just the way that it like continues the story is super fascinating i think and i'm trying to like choose my words carefully <laughs> because it is a very good movie for like revealing itself to you i think and it's got like any mission uh the performances in it that are incredible i think Richard Awade is like one of my favorite performances of the year. So funny. Uh, he's like a, an incredibly funny presence where like in the first one, it's like this guy is like yeah. this weird he has like sort of... two scenes in the first one, right? Yeah, like he's, he's not like in it that very much. barely in it. Um, but it's like he makes an impression because he's like the only name actor in it. Right. Um, other than like Tilda Swinton, obviously. Sure. Um, but in this one, he's like a much bigger role. And he is just so funny and so uh, mean <laughs> in a way that is, like, exactly what you want out of, like, this, you know, British filmmaker who, like, fancies himself like a Kubrick or something <laughs> where he is just, like, an incredibly demanding person. Uh, and then I think the stuff that I keep thinking about the most other than, like, literally the last scene is... All the stuff with uh, Honor Swinton Burns' parents in the movie, where like their relationship so much. together is so interesting, and then also their relationship with her is so yeah good, and like there is something to like the way that I think like putting 
on Letterboxd, I said this, and it's, like, what I think the sort of thesis of the movie is. It's, like, you are, like, trying to process your grief just by filling, like, that hole by working. And I... The parallels between, like, Honor Swintonburn making movies and Tilda Swinton making pottery, <laughs> mm. I think, are very interesting. And, like, how they both sort of react when those things go poorly in a way is mm -hmm. something that I like can't stop thinking about. Yeah. But uh yeah, God. Emilio, I know you were more mixed on it at first. Yeah. The thing is that I think I agree with most of your points. I just tr it's just like the it's like in contrast with the souvenir with the first part, which is like a movie that I think reveals itself to be something very emotionally devastating to me. And it's like this very, I think this very like interesting and powerful movie about like just finding out that you don't know anything about a person and just like that, it, that effect, the effect that it, it can have on you when you're like, when you like have based so much of your personality and your interest on that person and just like, the destabilizing effect they can have on a person and this one just like going so hard on just like the pure filmmaking aspect maybe it just like that is some that is a thing that i have become a little more inherently skeptical of when i watch movies of just like watching movies about movies and watching just like straight up filmmakers like trying to portray their own trauma and like drama about that sort of stuff which is like funny because I, I really loved Bergman Island which is a movie doing similar things but I think Bergman Island is maybe more of like a person near movie than this that's like a weird way to describe it but it's like Bergman Island for a movie that maybe takes an even more formal like audacious step in, in what it's trying to do I think is is still like more about a specific person and their specific interests and what they want from life whereas like some of the stuff in souvenir i just find like very idea -y and broad but i do like as it as it sat with me i do think it is like pretty great in a lot of moments and takes a lot of swings that i really appreciate i just like miss burke and i miss certain as certain like quieter aspects of the first one and this one but like the supporting cast in this is great. There's a lot of, like, good tiny perform. There's, like, a very good tiny performance by Joe Alwyn in it that I, like, have not I stopped. I mean, yeah. We, we didn't really talk about the boys of, like, Charlie Heaton and Harris Dickinson and Joe Alwyn. And, like, yeah. We'll Alwyn get to, is, like, maybe yeah. MVP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, maybe, we'll maybe get we to it when we do the, that, yeah, yeah. For, for when we do our first episode. But I just want to mention, like, him and Iowade, and I, th I think they're, like, Great, and I think it, I think it's like worth watching. And it's a movie that I, I can see watching again and like fully hitting the home run for me. But for, for yeah. right now, it's like a double. But we I'm, should move yeah. on. Yeah, I'm curious to revisit. Like, I might try to do them like back to back for in a in a in anticipation of our next web when we record our full episode on it and see like how that plays because it's been so long since the part one. But anyway, yeah, I I am so. I think there's no chance that. It, this would have been good as one movie. I don't think. Probably It'd be a lot. No, um, I think they're just very different parts, and it's just yes. like I don't think that I don't think it works at all without like some distance or like some understanding of like the first souvenir as its own thing, and this yeah, is like yeah. a follow up to it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. 
It's uh, time to talk El Buco, I think. We talking El Buco? Is that the I mean, next look, thing we all watch? There's not a lot to say about El Buco. It is El lot. Buco. It is El Buco. The thing about El Buco that you need to know is that it's simply El Buco. Yeah. Uh, El Buco is a new film by Michelangelo Framartino. This won a Silver Lion over the Silver it's Jury, this, like it's like the Jury Prize. Yeah, one director. He won director. Okay, I believe so. Let me uh, double check. Talk about double, double check that. But yeah, it's his new movie. It is truly like a pure vibes piece. But me, that is, that is, and that is like almost bo- both like short shifting it and also maybe giving it too much credit. It's like truly a film about this like group of explorers who goes down a cave in Italy. El buco means the hole, and they just like try to find the bottom of it. Are these people characters? No, not really. Do they have any dialogue? Not any that it bothers translating. Um, is there like an emotional core to the characters in their journey? Sort of. It's like, is it like exciting? Like, are, do you think people are like gonna get hurt like going down this hole? Not really. But it's just like a thing you have to sit with and just like process and just like feeling your bones it's like we've been having this joke of just like being like it's simply El Buco because it's truly like a film that is maybe it is maybe worthless talking about unless you're like an extremely eloquent person it is just sort of something you feel the the person who introduced it for New Year Film Festival was just like yeah this is just like an emotional journey you're going to go on by yourself and that is like sort of all you can say about it it is a it is you will just sit in the darkness for an indeterminate amount of time in mostly quiet and then you'll come out of it and you will feel differently yeah uh, it did win special jury prize not director okay um, so it won the special jury prize colin do you have anything yeah. to say about Obu? i mean it is a very interesting thing of like how we came to il buco and it's sort of like the magic of a festival i think where like for anyone who like doesn't know there's these things that festivals I think at most festivals, I don't know if they have them at like Cannes or Venice or whatever, but at least at TIFF and New York, they have these things called rush lines where the day that the festival, the, the movie's playing, uh, you know, whatever amount of time before the movie starts, if you don't have a ticket for it, you can get in line and it's like basically like standby. So like whatever they have after all the ticket uh, holders come in, by the time the movie is supposed to start, they can start letting people in. So me and Emilio were like, El Buco is like weirdly a hot ticket. It was uh, like the only time that they were playing it other than encores later on this week. Um, So we were like, we both like had a gap in our schedule and like everyone was like, people were telling us how good El Buco was and Jesse was seeing it. Um, And we were like, yeah, we'll go wait in line at El Buco. And we were, like, the first two people in line, and we got in, and we were, like, sort of close to the screen, and it really, you know, it's, like, a dialogue-free movie, essentially, um, or at least subtitle-free, other than, like, one sort of archival footage section of the part. And I, like, as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was, like, a documentary. And then it is, like, happening, and you just realize it's, like, a period piece. Um, And I'm like, this is crazy. And then... Like, visually, it's, like, undeniably, I think, one of the better-looking movies I've ever seen, especially in a theater. And there's things that they do where, like, 
they'll light a magazine on fire and drop it down the hole to see like how far down it goes and it's just like stuff that'll happen and you just feel or at least i feel like my stomach sink i'm like that hole is so deep and then there's moments where like people are like crunching through this small hole within the cave and then the camera like turns and you're like thinking like how do they even get a camera down there to where i think we were talking about it afterwards and Emilio was like i don't think a person could have been operating that camera and it's just like a, a feat in like editing and cinematography and directing especially um on from martino's end uh and like me and Emilio both like walked out of the theater uh, out of uh Francesca Beale and I was like I truly don't know how long we were in there and then we both get really cold and it was like what did El Buco do to us and uh I mean it's a beautiful movie and it like yeah it's just a beautiful movie like about a life and death and it's El Buco yeah it's a, I mean it's like I guess this is just came to me which is like a weird comparison but I guess like vibe wise and just like what your experience of like what you're thinking while watching it it's like almost like a Wiseman movie where you're just like this seems like not a there seems like there couldn't have been a crew involved or people like pointing this at anybody but this just truly it truly feels like still life in a way that is like immaculate um and I'm sure it'll be I think it it has no distribution yet I think um but I'm sure it'll be making the rounds at other festivals. So, like, check whatever local festivals are, like, close enough that you'd be willing to make the trek to to see El Buco in a theater. Because it is, like, seeing it big is a thing that I imagine it is, like, still effective at home. But, like, it is almost a necessity, I think, to see it in a theater if you can. Yeah. Um, Even more than, like image quality and image size i think silence is extremely darkness important Important. Um, yeah and just like uh, yeah just like the immersive quality of it yeah is helped just by it's almost as much of like just a sensory deprivation text than it is like a an actual movie but you know just watch el buco if you can moving on hold on for the record it's 93 minutes long Oh and, yeah, uh, 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 and Jesse, who also saw Il Buco but can't be here, has requested okay. that I read her uh, letterbox sure. review out loud. So um, uh, that is uh, as follows: When they're in Il Buco, this fucking honks. Fortunately, they're in Il Buco a lot because the thing is called Il Buco. It's Il Buco. <laughs> she nailed it. Um. What's the next thing we're going to talk about? Do we want to close up some loose ends? I know uh, on, saw Benedetta well, or... Sure. I mean, on Wednesday, the thing I saw on Wednesday was Futura. Um, Thorgo, yes. Which was a, which is a doc. It's uh, Elite Roll Rocker and the Martin Eden guy and one other guy. I forget uh, his name. Hold on. Uh, but uh, it's essentially, it's like a, it's a documentary that's like about like the youth of Italy and like what their feelings are. Um, Pietro Marcello? Uh, uh, yes, it is... Pietro Marcello. Yeah, Pietro my... Marcello, uh, Francesco Munzi, and uh, right. J. Rowe Rocker. Um, and you, you know, it's it's just a lot of, like... It's very... It visits a lot of different regions in Italy. It's very sort of, like, caught up in, like... I think you... Ha- if 
if you don't know a ton about like Italy's like politics or or geography or anything like that, like it, it it is like a little bit like I'm not quite sure I'm getting all of this that they're putting into it. Um, but it is like you know it's it's a nice enough uh, portrait of like young people and the way that they're thinking and feeling and um, you know it's it's. It's not anything revelatory, I don't think. Like, there's nothing in there where you're like, wow, these kids, like... I, I never expected kids today to be like this or whatever. Like, they're so articulate. Like, it's nothing like that, I don't think. It's just, like, it's, you know, it's it's a, it's pleasant enough. It looks really good. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's probably going to be around also. Probably worth checking out if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, my, my letterbox review of it was that it has... It has the vibe of the non-sketch sections, that's just the interview with the kids of um, in John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Um, uh, friend yeah. of the show, John Mulaney, our close personal friend. <laughs> sure, right, yeah. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, can I, should I tie my, up my loose ends? Yeah, because I, 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 uh, I think, so you saw Benedetta and we both saw Titan. Right, we can talk a little bit about Teton and Benedetta. Those, I think, would be the loose ends. And then I have the two movies I saw on Thursday, or on Wednesday, and then I have I saw Revival on Thursday, and that's everything yeah. for me. Okay, so here's the thing about both Teton and Benedetta, and I'll start with Benedetta, since that's the one I think I am the only one person who it is relevant to who talk hasn't about. expressed thoughts yet. Yeah. Yes. They're both, like, pretty good. They're both, like, all right, I think is my take which is like weirdly puts me on like very much the top on either of them on this podcast but uh i just think it's like a pretty funny movie i think benedetta i just think it like sort of went by for me in a weird way i think it's like very big it's like very broad i think what it lacks of other Verhoeven movies is that I don't think like whatever it's like satirizing is like very potent or that like intelligent which is like weird because he's such a Jesus guy that you think he would have a lot to say and I think he thinks this movie has a lot to say but truly it's just like isn't the Catholic Church a little corrupt and crazy which is like all right I get it I get it I get that but it's like What's the main lady's, like, the actress's name who plays um, Benedetta? I will tell you. I think she's very good. I think she's very good at, like, playing that role, like, very cannily. Ifira. Yeah, Ifira. Yeah, she's, like, <laughs> she's, like, great. She's, like, I think she's very good. I think it's, like, the reason why <laughs> I respond. I'm going to your name, and it's not Virginie. <laughs> and, uh, Virginie. Virginie, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dalton Wilcox yeah. here. <laughs> I, I think the the context in which I enjoy it is, I, I enjoy a good movie about just like a liar, I guess, and it's just like a person who just like has to keep a lie going, and just like has to like do whatever dumb hijinks to keep people believing and to keep maintain like the weird power they have. And I find those sections like pretty funny and engaging, and I think it's like roundly well acted. It's, like, a little too long, but, I, again, I, I didn't feel the length as much as other people. I think it'll just be, like, a decent good time when people go out and watch. It's, like, you just sort of have to go into it being, like, this is just, like, sort of, like, a fun parody-y, like, 
Farsi movie, and the, like that's the level on which it's operating at. And anything of the, any of the things it's trying to do seriously, I don't think it is successful at really. But uh, as just like a piece of entertainment, I enjoyed it. So then we can move on to Titan, which is what we have all seen and can now comment yeah, on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I yeah I very briefly was like not into it last time I think, and that was basically all I said. Yeah, I think I'm gonna fall like somewhere between like you and Jesse and Amelia, where I'm like, I mean, similarly to Benedetta, it's not like I hate it. It's just I think it's uh without speaking too much for Amelia, I think it's more of like where he is like, yeah, soft positive writer. I'm like soft negative. Where I'm like, I don't really care about this movie. It's just not that good, and it's but it's like fine. Like Titan, I think has moments that I do like and I like because I mean when we talked about when we did our famous trailer episode uh, we talked about I was like this looks sick as hell I'm like all in on this movie and uh everything from the trailer basically happens in like the first 10 minutes of the movie I'm like oh okay and like that is the stuff that I was more interested in I'm being like I'm not being very generous like it was more than 10 minutes but like the stuff that I was like amped for, like this movie, uh, is gonna it's get all this stuff that I want to see, and it's like not really about that. And it like I think its sort of faults are that it is trying for something and is like presenting itself as this very extreme movie, um, at least like in its promotional and like marketing materials, and everyone's like this is the most fucked up shit I've ever seen or whatever. Which is, like, maybe not the best thing for a movie that is, like... does have stuff that is, like, very intense and I was, like, having to look away. But it... I often found that it was, like, going right to the edge and then just, like, not stepping up. Like, not really committing to any, like, sort of craziness. Even at the end, without getting into spoilers, really. Where it, like, does what you think it's gonna do. It's just, like... In a way, it's just, like, oh, like, that's it? And, like... This also, I, uh, was just very bored a lot of the time. Where, like, we saw it, and I, like, in the theater, I would, like, close my eyes and then, like, open them and be like, okay, yeah, this is, like, I'm, like, bored by this. And then, uh, like, the guy next to me was, like, sound asleep. (laughs) But it's got, like, there's other moments, like, I think, uh, Vincent Lindon who's an actor we've talked about a lot, is, like, pretty good and, like, probably the best performance in the movie. Um, And I think his stuff, even though I like the sections that he's in less, I think what he is doing is, like, an interesting performance. And he's just an actor that I'm, like, compelled by, um, like... I think he's just, like, a very physically interesting actor. And, like, especially in this one, he's doing, like, a lot of stuff physically. Um, And then, like, I do... I think I have to agree with Andy a bit that the lead, uh, Agatha Roussel, Roussel, uh, is, like, pretty not good, I think. Where, like, she... I mean, and it's maybe not even her fault. She's, like, really not given a lot to do. Like, she's given business, but, like, she truly it is just like a thing where she is sort of having to react to everybody there is like a few scenes um 
like there's a scene near the end where she dances on the fire truck where I'm like, this is good. Like, this is interesting. But like, and she's like, obviously she is a dancer. So that's like what she is like, you know, she's d very compelling in that regard. But other than that, I do find the movie just pretty like bland and boring, though I'm not fully in like the Jesse camp where I'm like, it's awful. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I like, I get like, there's people who like love it, and I like, I get that. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's out now. Like, it came out mm -hmm. on Friday. It yeah. didn't do particularly well. So well, like the, I mean, it did like fine. I think, but yeah. like, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's curious. Yeah, the reaction, because it, it really is going hard into yeah the like. That you know everything's so fucked up and it's so, so wild or whatever, and it I like I don't think that's like a bad move to pull for this movie. Like I think like it pe people who are going in looking for that I think are probably gonna get what they want for the most part. I just yeah I it, I just yeah. think like it is like the the choice to I think have that main character be mostly mute for the runtime of the movie is I think like just like a choice that like I'm just not into at all and I think it's like really disappointing that like that's like the the the, the like the central character is is yeah makes that choice to go you know she's like goes undercover or whatever and like then you don't really have much insight into her for the rest of the runtime and it's like okay she doesn't really talk much before that no not really i mean says no, her not stomach really. hurts like once <laughs> right yeah but uh you know what do you think emilio i think it's it's tough it's tough to talk about in that i have issues with it but i think the issues with it are like very top level because i think just like as a movie it works I think what it is trying to do, I think it is mostly successful at. Because it's like, I guess, like, I listened to our TIFF episode that had Anna and Meg talking about it. So I think I was a little more ready for what the movie becomes and was, like, more willing to accept it on, like, those terms. And just willing to be, like, so Lindon is a little bit more of the lead in the second half. And he is, like, the person you really have to track and, like think about and I it's like yeah if you go into it just explain it like just like wanting like a carnage fest then you might be a little disappointed or you're just expecting something like crazy and neon and day glow then like again all of that stuff is like very front loaded and exists mostly as like a character introduction to then tee up what the movie actually is but I think what the actual movie is and that like that sort of turn and that sort of step, I think is like pretty successful. I do think the movie is like sort of sweet and sort of nice and just like a, a decent like found family thing about like how you have to be willing to accept people to like become a whole person and stuff like that, that I think is like an interesting tack to take. The issue I have with it is, like, almost hard to talk about without completely talking about the movie. Without completely, like, spoiling the movie, which is, like, I guess the movie's out, so we might as well talk about it. But it's just, like, 
I think this and Raw, my problem with this and Raw, beyond like just like whatever finding them engaging, is that I think they're both like, for movies that are like marketed as so crazy and like the Cornell has this sort of like reputation as just like this like wild child, put anything in there, like alt person. I think those both of the movies have like a weirdly regressive view of that sort of lifestyle and that I think both of them come come down on the like side of like well that's stuff that's stuff that crazy bad people do and good people like are like very normal and like bu- buttoned down and it's like that's like a weird thing to explore and come down on I think so it's like yeah I'm very mixed on it I would have to like sit on it for like a more like a while more to like come down on like definitively on what side of it I am I guess but I for sure liked it moment to moment and appreciated more than any of my co-hosts I do think it's like worth watching to see like what you think of it I mean yeah I certainly wouldn't like dissuade anyone from seeing it if they're interested like 100% people who like it roundly love it like it's got it's very fervent fan base growing uh and I think, like, it is objectively a good Palm Door winner. Where it's, like, it never really... The Palm Door rarely, if ever, goes to, like, what my favorite movie of, like, the lineup is. Um, which is not to say, like, whatever. It's just a thing of, like, I think this is a good direction for Can to go in. Like, it's a like it's a movie that is, like, not traditionally what they would have awarded the Palm Door to. And I think that that is an interesting... Yeah, it's it's a real like you have to watch it and give it a shot sort of movie, which is like mo- a lot more interesting than they can go yeah. in a lot of different ways, and which is so so like I appreciate it on that level. But we can also we can now move on. What else? That night, or Andy, do you have anything else other than yes? You saw Lost Daughter. Uh... Yeah, the next day was uh, was yeah was my 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 double feature that in Alice Tully was Lost Daughter and then uh, Red Rocket, which I think is what you're gearing up to, right? But, yeah, yeah. But, talk but let me talk about Lost Daughter a little bit first, which I absolutely loved. It's it, like that... My top three, I think, are Souvenir Part 2, Lost Daughter, and Worst Person in the World in some order that I have not yet determined. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a really, like... It's a fantastic showcase for, like, some really tremendous performances it's like a really extremely exciting ensemble. Olivia Coleman, um, Dakota Johnson. Uh, here's here's what I'll say. I have no idea what this movie is about. What is this sure, movie yeah. about? What is the like pitch okay, on the so, last So uh, 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 Olivia Coleman plays a, a woman who is like on like a working holiday. She's like a professor. Uh, and it's it's set in Greece, I believe. Um, so some Mamma Mia vibes, certainly. Um, and, uh, she is, uh, you, you sort of get, start to get the impression that, like, she's there by herself. Ed Harris plays, like, a guy who, like, works at this, like, apartment she's renting or whatever. And she is completely alone the whole time she's there. And you sort of start to get some, it starts to pick up with some flashbacks to her younger self, who's played by Jesse Buckley. Um, and her experiences where when she was like a a young mother so it's it's sort of like filling in the story of her and how she came to be in this position and what her feelings are now about like other people and their families and like dakota johnson 
plays like this other like a a, a a young mom from this other like set of tourists who's there um uh you have um what's the irish guy's name uh paul Mescal. oh from normal people yeah uh paul uh, Mescal. that's right yeah yeah um uh he, <laughs> Phil tequila <laughs> he um he, yeah he is um he like works at the resort and like at, at, like the bar or whatever or like helps arrange chairs and that sort of thing um and yeah and it's just like it sort of takes the story of like of olivia coleman and like her feelings about like motherhood and independence and and, and that sort of thing uh and 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 explores sort of how how all these like things added into the mix sort of um affect her and and sort of reflect her thinking and you you know you learn things about her past and you and you get a lot of like really nice character beats of her like interacting with like other people there's this really really i think pretty tremendous scene where she's like at the like local little like movie house whatever and like partway into the movie that she's like really enraptured by like it's showing some old movie a bunch of like no good like hoodlum kids like come in and start like being obnoxious and stuff and and she tries to go get like a manager to help and and they like they behave when the manager's in and then start like yeah it's like and like and the way that she reacts is like she's clearly like trying to keep it all together and i think olivia coleman's performance is just really tremendous of like her like the way that she can sometimes slip and be like a little cutting or a little or like let her anger suddenly erupt out of her when she's mostly trying to keep it under wraps i think it's just like it's so fascinating and fun to watch and and yeah like i said her dynamic with dakota johnson who is this young mother who has a has like a uh you know like a, th- a two or three year old or whatever who uh loses her the do- the the young daughter loses her doll and she like comes to sympathize with Olivia Coleman and there's all this stuff with that. Yeah, it's 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 based on the Lena Ferrante novel. Maggie Gyllenhaal directs it. Um I think she does a really, really great job of 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 yeah getting tremendous performances out of everybody and I think it has a real um immersive sort of look. Yeah, it's just like I really was really taken with it. I think it's just a fascinating sort of meditation and I think I'm not that familiar with Ferrante. I think I read the first Neapolitan novel and I watched like a couple of episodes of the first season of that My Brilliant Friend adaptation on HBO and then sort of fell off of it. But um, I, it, do, it does definitely feel literary. You definitely feel that like literary character study. And, but I, I think it's, you know, I, I, that's something I often respond to. And I, so I really, I really, really uh, enjoyed it and had a great time. And yeah, and all the actors were there and that's always fun and cool to see. Colin? At, yeah. Any other questions about The Lost Daughter, anyone? No. It, it's truly just a thing I will see on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now it's time to talk a movie that the three of us saw. Andy and Emilio had tickets. This was another one that I rushed uh, that I like wasn't really interested in seeing at all. But then the buzz was growing, and I was like, you know what? I'll run as fast as I can from the ballet to the standby line <laughs> at nine at night uh, to get in to see Sean Baker's Red Rocket. Now, Andy, what do you think of Red Rocket? We're starting with Andy on this one. Yeah, yeah you want to say that's? Know. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's like uh, you know, it's like I think it's a little too. 
enamored with the charms of its with what it thinks are the charms of its protagonist to really be super effective like i found it a little trying at times of like because because it's um what's his name simon rex simon rex uh, that's right. he is he's, a porn plays, star who right mikey saber and he's coming back to his small town of In, texas city texas yeah um from la in like 2015 <laughs> um, right. it's yeah it's the the throes of the 2016 election it's like it's like summer 2016 because the conventions are happening sure yeah um, um and he get like beat up and sort of left or broke at one of his like hype houses or whatever where a lot of you know adult film actors live um so he's coming back to stay with his ex-wife or ex-partner who he's like still technically married to and her mother yeah and sort of build his way back (laughs) right and he's like he's like a real fast talker like charmer like he's always like working something to try to get something and it's like you like the movie really is like sell banking a lot on this performance of him being like someone you want to spend a lot of time with and who you are like finding like enjoyable to watch him like work all these angles and stuff and i didn't quite get there enough of the time for me to like find the movie like entirely enjoyable i think there it certainly is not the case that it is like always like nail grating or or horrible to to watch or whatever and and like you do get to like as he takes further actions you start it starts to become clear like oh this is like not a good guy at all and like at a certain point, it's like, okay, he's going to get some kind of comeuppance. Like, when are we going to get to that? Like, when's it going to happen? And, like, I felt like I was waiting for a long time for, for that to happen. Um, although, when it did happen, I was like, yep, that seems like what should have happened. So, I, I think it's fine. I think it's totally, like, a, a pleasant watch. I don't think it's anything super special. I know you two uh, both were, were very into it. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Uh, Amelia, you go first. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great. I think it's, like... I think the complaint you have is I think a class I think that is like a classic Sean Bakery thing in that I think a lot of his movies it's just like you're just gonna sit with these people for a while and then eventually yeah. I'll get to some kind of payoff. Like I think that's like how Florida Project is also. And it's just like sure. mileage may vary on like whether you enjoy spending that much time with the people. But I think the the like 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 first second act of his movies can be a little like wandering and i think that's what he wants to do because he just like wants to sit and live with these people but i don't know what to say i think simon rex is great i think the movie plays on on, on all of his strengths as just like a person who is like very blustery and like very confident but also like clearly an asshole and like clearly like i think the the his casting works very well is just like yeah, you can totally tell he was a guy, he's a guy who like was from Texas but wasn't very embarrassed by it. So now he's like is like a completely different person just like accent wise and behavior wise and can only talk about like the things he experienced that's like in California or whatever in a way that I like I know people like that and it's like obviously I don't know people who are end up being sort of as slimy as he does, but I certainly know people who like run up to that and i think it does a good job of like because it's like the thing that baker had been doing in his last like couple of movies at least is just like yeah he was trying he's like trying to find like off-center like both protagonists and like worlds for his movies that aren't just like 
middle class normal people in like some normal town and like some like well not normal is maybe the right the wrong way to put it but like some like place in america that you like know and everybody really and literally everybody who has seen a movie can relate it to some other place he's trying to find people who are like a little off center but like unlike other movies where that sometimes can feel a little pandery and a little like all chucks look at these people i think he's good at just like being like nah they live their lives they're like funny they understand what's happening and i think like the ultimate good of the ending is that like it allows it gives a space for everyone to be canny and everybody to be aware of what's happening and like you give everybody space to seem good and funny and smart and cool just like a lot of the movie does and he's just like in the center of it and he's like fun to see do his thing and also fun to see get the shit kicked out of him and be like the butt of the jokes which i think i like hard thing to pull off in which you can immediately be like this guy's funny i like what he's doing and that but then when he gets his ass kicked then i'm just like yeah it's fun to see this guy get his ass kicked yeah <laughs> i mean it's a bit of like a charlie chaplin thing almost where it's like he's not as sympathetic as chaplin um but it is just like a thing it was like he moves funny in the movie <laughs> he's got like a funny way that he like walks and will like move his arms around he's like always like smiling big and like raising his eyebrows when he's talking to people it's a real like i think magnetic performance um and like one of my favorites of the year uh i think the sort of the, like we i mean we, we we've talked a little bit about like you know what whether or not you like stay at a q and a or whatever at these things uh, and i watched a little bit of the sean baker and like the full cast basically uh talk about it um and it's like a fascinating thing of like they made this movie, or they, they, they uh, him and the writer Chris Burgock or Burgock, uh, made this movie, uh, Starlet, which was like John Baker's movie before Tangerine, that was sort of about, uh, someone getting into the adult film industry. And like they had just done a lot of research, so they had this script about a guy, sort of like what ended up being Mikey Saber in this. And, uh, they were like you know they made obviously they made tangerine they made the florida project and then they were working on another movie and then as soon as the pandemic started uh they were like we can't make this movie like under covert restrictions uh and someone was like we can give you like x amount of money do you think you can make a movie for this on that like is under covert restrictions and they were like we do have this script about <laughs> this guy mikey saber and they like made it uh they, like, got it to, like, Simon Rex in, like, a week and, like, started, like, immediately. And, like, the rest of the cast came together. Uh, there's, like, this sort of woman who provides uh, Simon Rex with, like, weed to sell. And she was in the documentary uh, What You're Gonna Do When the World's on Fire. And that's, like, how Sean Baker, like, met or, like, heard of her and, like, went to where she lived in New Orleans to, like, ask her if she wanted to be in this movie and then like the character of her daughter was just someone that like they're driving around that they wanted to put her dog in the movie <laughs> and then she, they were like you should be in it also or whatever and like um there's this character strawberry <laughs> who works at a donut store and he like found her just like outside of a movie theater in la and like uh then and then also like uh the actress uh who plays his uh, his wife uh, was like a theater actor in LA that he sort of like found who like 
she like was gonna be in a play and like uh they had to cancel it obviously due to covid uh and it's like a thing of i would have believed like all of these people especially like um the wife and like uh the character strawberry are just like uh people who are from there like like it's a very annoying thing to be like complimenting or sort of taking points away for like an a character or an actor's performance of like an accent but uh the person playing strawberry does an incredible southern accent to where when i saw her in the q a like talking she's not southern i was like that is insane <laughs> because it is like such a specific like texas accent and she does a great job but it is i think just like emilio is saying it's like funny to see simon rex like be this sort of like uh, guy with a chip on his shoulder who it's like yeah like it's funny to see him like walk around and like tell everybody that he was like like google my name you'll see who i am but then also like get the shit kicked out of him and like be like ah oh, come on man what are you doing and then also like there's a stolen valor plot line in the movie and it's the funniest thing i've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's just like a movie about living with these people, and, and I yeah. like, I found it very charming, and I found all the performances very good. I think Sean Baker is an incredible director of actors, and I think he's like, yeah, and this gives yeah, every, everybody sorry. enough space to like, do his thing. It's like, despite what Andy said, I don't think the movie is like super, like plot wise or like script wise, it's like super enamored with his charm. I think. A strength of the movie is that it, it understands exactly how charming he is and yeah. exactly how much the people around him find them charming and that it's like very yeah. variable instead in terms of like this like strawberry is like sort of in love with him and what she can do for him and but and like these other people find them extremely annoying and this other guy yeah, just like, like are wants f- fed up with his bullshit because they've like been around the block with him already yeah and other people are just like well he's effective and i guess he's sort of charming so we have to give him enough rope but he's like yeah as soon as he steps outside of that we're gonna punish him and it's just like it's very funny it's like the per yeah. the perfect sort of this movie where it's it's just like it's fun it's engaging but you can't feel like it's like you can't it has a light touch sort of where you just can't it doesn't feel like somebody just like mashing your face into a story and like telling you what to get from it and telling you what to feel about everything and like very much painting these people it like very much gives it gives them a lived-in feel that i think very much works I mean, the yeah. Trump stuff is the part where I'm like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know, like, it's, like, not even in a bad way. I'm just like, huh, that's an interesting thing to yes, include. it's a very, like, when it's revealed that it is, like, a period piece or whatever, just in that regard, it's, like, right. fascinating. I mean, yeah, because I think the first thing you see is, like, a Make America Great Again billboard, and then it's just, like, the background noise is, like, people watching, like, the conventions. And you see yeah. you see more of the Republican, <laughs> but you see some of the Democratic one, too. And, like, you see, like, a little bit of Hillary Clinton and stuff. And, like, yeah, yeah it's, I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's like, you, you, like, see nobody. It's like, yeah, where you see nobody react to it. It's like nobody. Right. Nobody, no one's, yeah. like, expressing any opinion. It's just, like, odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's like and, that, I mean, it's, like, like, the sort of thing, like. You know, these are people who always have the TV on. Like that's like sure, yeah. That makes sense for these characters, obviously. Um, mm. uh, but uh, but yeah, it's and it, I think it's like it is an interesting element of like yeah, this is like the bigger picture of what's happening while all this like 
down in the dirt sort of stuff is also happening at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Interesting contrast. I do yeah. want to say also that it, like, looks incredible and that, like, there's a lot of, like, comedic zooms that are just, like, super quick punched in on, like, someone reacting to uh, Simon Rex or, like, uh, there's, like, a very pivotal, like, zoom in on someone's mouth at one point. Uh, and it's just, like, all deployed very well, I think. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll say, it's, like, one of those things where I think before the festival, I was of the opinion of, like, nobody should make a movie. Nobody should make a fucking COVID movie. It's, like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, not even from, a, like, a safety standpoint, but it's, like, who the fuck wants to engage with work on these terms? But sure. I do feel like I came out of this movie and a couple other movies being like you know there is something interesting about making just a movie that is sparse and it's like maybe set in a different right. place because you did you like had to shoot somewhere less dense to like get a movie made and stuff like that and i think like yeah i sort of appreciate that this movie got made because of it because i think it's good and i think it like benefits from that sort of perspective but anyway yeah. We went a while, for a while there. Uh, what what uh, uh, what else we want to talk about? Andy, I know you saw Chameleon Street. I did. That was the revival. I saw Chameleon Street, um, which is absolutely bonkers out of its mind. It's like, it's really like there's like a lot of like tonal whiplash and like stuff in that movie. And I thought, like it's it's like hard to articulate sort of like what the movie is like really getting at and, and i think like and i would probably should seek out some writing on it or something but it was i had a really great time watching it there were several people who walked out uh in in the middle of it which is really funny to think about walking out of like a revival uh movie whose like content is like it's out like you can find out like what this movie what is in this movie but uh no you're gonna you're gonna make me stand up so you can get out of the aisle um uh you Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, that is certainly a strong recommend for anyone to check that out if it's available to you. I think this new restoration looked great. Uh, it's it's really ambitious and really exciting. It's, you know, it you can, so, like, the closest comparison, I guess, is, like, roughly, like, catch me if you can, but, like, stylistically, <laughs> not even in the same ballpark. Um, and, yeah, just really magnetic performance at the center of it, too. Did you talk about um, Sweetback last? Time, I don't Emilio? think so. I saw Sweet Sweetback bad, bad Sweet Sweetback's badass song, the Melvin Van Peebles movie, uh, as a revival. That movie is like, I mean, I imagine it's very different to Chameleon Street, but it's also similar in that it's like insane. It is just like so many things happen. It is like about this. Uh, this like sex worker named Sweetback who like is it's like taken to the cops as like oh we the cops are just like go up to this like sex show and are now like we need a guy to arrest so our bosses think that like we're like doing the our due diligence about like searching this guy out so can we just can we just take a guy and they're like yeah sure you can have Sweetback but you have to bring him back by the morning you have to like prove him innocent so then he they like take him and then they like take him in a squad car uncuffed but then they like the squad car then arrests another person and then the movie sort of becomes this like escape story about Sweetback and this other criminal like escaping from the cops and it's just like the score is insane the score is like they bill it as like being from Earth Wind and Fire 
like like an early work of theirs where apparently like one of the earth wind and fire people just like knew with like boyfriends with us with Mer melvin Van people's like secretary or something so then they, they just like worked on it but it is like not doesn't sound like any of their like mainstream work it's just like a lot of loud very like ear piercing horns and it's just like <laughs> a, a completely strange movie where this guy just like gets away from the cops and like learns a little bit about community and the people around him like melvin van people's place sweet back and he's a star but it's like a 90 percent silent performance he doesn't really say anything it has like this insane beginning which also got people to walk out of the movie but i, I think it's like very worth watching and it, it's like I think sort of in an important work historically, I guess, but also just a, just like as a like artistic a piece of artistic expression, I think it's like pretty singular. Yeah. But um, anyway, I think. Uh, what are we moving? Did you see anything else? Is there anything you saw after Red Rocket? I mean, I saw two movies. Do you want me to talk about though? Oh, I mean, yeah. Do we want to wait, or do you want to talk about those a little bit? I mean, no, nobody else here has seen the, these movies, so I can just... I mean, Jesse saw both of them. Then I can yeah. maybe talk about them a little more with Jesse, but I'll talk about them now. I saw the Vel sure. Todd Haynes' Velvet Underground documentary. Um, that movie's fucking great. I think it's, like, pretty legit. It's, like gorgeous to look at very engaging you have a lot of interesting perspective i think it's like like people i think people some people went up to it before and were like oh so it's like not a lot of talking heads right so it's not like that sort of documentary but it is sort of like heavy on talking heads there are a lot of people like talking throughout it like just voice and doing like t talking headsy stuff but i think he's a very smart director in how he like frames that with like footage from the time and experimental footage and like just like contextual artistic things like it, it does this very funny thing in the introduction where, where it like <coughs> <coughs> sorry about that it has this like like a still shot of uh, Lou Reed's face and then it puts like the name Lou and it has people talking about Lou Reed and like artistic context around the time and then it does the same thing with john kale and then the third time it does that it's just new york city which i found very sure. funny at the time so it was like yeah new york is truly the third character in this in this movie and it's like truly like so much contextual stuff about like the new york art scene at the time a lot of andy warhol stuff a lot of jonas mecca stuff just like the political and like cultural context around like new york in the 60s and the art scene and how people how that like sort of gave birth for a band like velvet underground to be like extremely influential if not like extremely popular due to their like their place in the world and just like people coming to appreciate the like for the time extremely strange music that they made and the artistry behind it and uh, it's truly like yeah i saw it in a theater and i like i was super glad it's like it's coming to apple you can watch it on apple i think it would play pretty well on the tv but it's like truly like a very cinematically designed thing that i think is extremely worthwhile and it's one truly maybe one of my three favorite things i saw at the festival i think it is very very good i i said 
to Jesse afterwards that I'm like, I just need to watch Mildred Pierce so I can confirm that Todd Haynes <laughs> is the best American filmmaker working, maybe, because I, I truly might be of that opinion. And then I saw Vortex. Yeah, how'd Vortex <laughs> go? <laughs> Vortex is the new Gaspar Noé movie. Uh, Director of Enter the Void, Climax, Irreversible, Love. Uh, obviously known as a bit of like a muckraker, provocateur. Bit uh, of a prankster? Bit of a, a bit prank. Of a little sinker. A George Clooney style prankster. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's always smoking cigars like Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So he made this movie Vortex, which is like a drama like inspired by his real life like this is a movie inspired by like his mother like suffered with dementia and then like died through it during the pandemic so he's like inspired to make this movie which is just like about this older couple one of which is played by Dario Argento and the other one is played by this act- actress uh, let me find her name really quick her name is Francois Lebrun which was a who was like a big actress in like genre films of France genre films of, of like the seventies and like sixties or whatever. Who he was just like a big fan of it, so she he was like, yeah, you should play my mom in this or whatever. And there the third character is basically it's like one of those things where it's like so autobiographical that the third character basically is Gaspar Noé, where he's like sort of like a weird filmmaker who has like these like these like dr- drug abuse problems and it's like trying to like be a little clean so he can like take care of his mom and dad but is like concerned about that and I knew going into it that it was like a little more muted than his like other films because it's like any normal film would seem a little muted compared to the rest of the his work but it is truly so fucking boring and useless and bad and I just truly did not like it at all. It is 2 hours 30 minutes. It feels 5 hours long. It is truly like him. It truly like feels like he just like knew like felt an emotion for the first time where he was just like oh isn't it like sad and scary that old people can like go through this and that is the only perspective that movie had and it just like wants to live with that for like two hours and 30 minutes and it does it I think like pretty mediocrely like I don't think it, it's like even like a very basic movie that he like tried to have some spin on it is truly like just like a movie about an old couple going through dementia and they like die and it's just like he's just like isn't that scary that one day you could have dementia and die but it's like Right, such a slog, and it's like true, and it's like very in your face stylistically too, right? It like it. Here's the thing: like the entire stylistic conceit of it is that it it's like, it is like a split screen, and like most of the time it's like one of the cameras is following one of the cu- one of the members of the couple, and the other camera is following the other one. But like ninety percent of the movie. They are just like together in the same room, and it could have truly just been the same shot. There is truly nothing yeah. gained from it. Like it, like it begins with like the sequence of like she gets up first and like walks down the street, and he is like st- and he is like home. So it begins with a sequence that is like trying to use the effect of like these are we're I'm showing you two different people at doing very different things at the same time. But then, mm-hmm. like, the re- basically the rest of the movie just, like, never minds anything interesting out of that conceit. And, like, sometimes when, like, 
when the sun is there then one of the cameras will like take the sun's like perspective and some of there's like a part with it where it will shift to like a doctor's perspective it's just like it's like for a, for a aesthetic and a tr- and like a bit that it like really commits to it true is I don't feel like it has anything to do with it beyond just like 50 minutes of its 2 hour and 30 minute lo- run time like it truly like you could have yeah. made two scenes like that and then just made the rest of the movie just like a single frame and it would have you would have like felt the same way which uh, which I like hate to say cuz I'm like one of the, I'm like a person who's like whatever just make a movie a long shot I don't give a shit as long as like you you think it's compelling and it, it's like I'm not a person who is necessarily like you need to justify file the style of your movie beyond like you thought it was an engaging thing to do but I I just don't think it's engaging and I think it's like actively distracting at some points where I was just like I was sat like dead center middle row and it truly made the movie hard to watch and at one point I was just like I'm just going to stare at the black bar in the middle of these two frames because I truly too exhausted to just be like looking at both of these people and not really in the way that I think the movie is trying to be like isn't it crazy that your parents could be doing different things and you have to like keep your eye on them I don't think it's really mining anything interesting out of that I truly think it's like a bad movie that was clearly like him just like going through something and like trying to make a movie that explores some of that stuff so I don't really even like resent that being made that much I'm just like fine that you did that I do resent sitting there for two hours and having to watch it and it was especially like once I learned like it was about his life and that he cast basically an actress he really loved as his mom and then a director he really loved as his dad I was like come on man you can't you can't be (laughs) this is so like this is like jerk coffee. This yeah. is like it's not even. It's just like so straightforward. I guess it's a thing. It's like sure. so like one to one about everything it's doing in a way that it's like. It, it like, it, I almost appreciate it. Like if tomorrow he was just like, yeah, I just everybody started liking my provocateur movie. So the uh, the only provocateur move to make is just make something very regular and boring as hell. So, shouts to him for that, but uh, I would not watch Vortex. I don't know. Maybe if you're at home someday and you're just like, I have two hours 30 to kill to watch a, ga- a mediocre Gaspar Noé movie, you could give it your time. But if not, just fucking watch The Father or like Amour or like, Amour. Ni- or like yeah. 90 like movies about dementia and old people that are, that are much better than this. Sure. Uh, did we talk about your last movie that you saw for the festival, Andy? Yes, that was Chameleon Street. There was one okay. other I did see Outside Noise, a Currents movie, which I thought was fine. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about it. We maybe maybe I will pop into Jesse's Currents bonus episode or whatever, and we can talk sure. about it more because she also saw it. But I don't know. Colin Woods. I think the last thing uh, I saw, Power of the Dog. Okay, right. Uh, the new Jane Campion movie. The centerpiece screening. Centerpiece. Yep, I was there at the the you know they do these big centerpiece. They do the same thing. Where I saw like the instead of the six p.m. like first showing of Tragedy McDeath, I saw one, yeah. the six fifteen like across the street, and then I did the same thing where instead of the six p.m. Alice Tully premiere of Power of the Dog that was like extremely empty, uh, I saw the was it really? Three, yeah, like you know, with even with movies like Worst Person in the World, that is just like a main slate movie that wasn't 
a uh, centerpiece opening night or closing night or mm-hmm. like uh, the same thing happened with Red Rocket where the line was like down the block and around or like Benedetta like all yeah. the way around uh, the block uh, the line like never went past the steps for Power of the Dog at 6 That's and I was wild. like I could get in and like probably just say like I have a ticket for a, the showing in like 30 minutes like can I just see this one but I saw it at the Howard Gilman Theater across the street at 645 uh, which is like the smallest theater as part of uh, you know the whole Lincoln Center area um, where it's like Alice Tully's the biggest I think then Walter, Walter Reed is like probably. the second biggest and then Francesca Beale and Howard Gilman are in the same building but Howard Gilman's like the smallest uh, theater yeah. Which is where they were doing like a lot of the current screenings. That's yeah, I I, Howard Gilman's the only one I didn't there. see anything in. I saw it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Three. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about this at all. Uh, the theaters are incredibly nice. I think all those seats are incredibly comfortable, especially compared to TIFF. Um, They're better than TIFF. They're a little too narrow for 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 this wide. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. There's oh, I mean, when we were at the theater, like my knees were in my mouth. Um, that was that was the smallest seat that we said. Um, but Power of the Dog is incredible. Um, we've talked about Jane Campion a little bit here and there on the podcast before. It's your first movie since Bright Star. I, you know, Jesse, I uh, talked about it on one of her TIFF dispatches already. Um, but. I just think it's incredible. It's like the the structurally, it's very fascinating because it is done. It's based on this book from like the '60s that like no one has read and like doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Um, and it is like split into chapters in the movie. And Benedict Cumberbatch is like. An actor who I like. Like, I think he's good in, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I even don't even mind him in the Marvel movies that he's in. Uh, but he is insanely good in Power of the Dog. Uh, that he is giving, like, one of my va- favorite performances of the year. And it is, like, such a insane thing to come from an actor like that who, like, people will often talk about actors who like get stuck in the sort of franchise machine and like at a certain point they like don't really get to give performances like this anymore and it is just an incredibly impressive performance um it's also got uh jesse plemons and uh kirsten dunce and cody smith mcphee who are also all great and like Clemens and Dunst are actors that I just love and, like, would not really expect anything less from them uh, other than, like, great, really. And Cody Smith-McPhee is, like, a guy we were talking about afterwards where it's, like, he's in, like, Dolomite is my name, and he's, like, really good in that. Um, And he's great in this. It's, like, a very small performance that, like, there, without getting too much into, like, the plot, there's something that, like, happens near the end that I didn't even realize, like, what was happening until I saw someone use, like, a different word for what happened. And I was like, wait a minute, like, what are the layers here? And I'm like, this Cody Smith-McPhee performance is, like, maybe incredible. Like, (laughs) there's stuff that he's doing where it's, like, the intent behind what he's doing, I don't think I realized until, like, 
like uh, until I was like reflecting back on like what the movie was doing, and him and Cumberbatch's relationship, and especially um, Plemons and Cumberbatch's relationship, is like there's so much there, and you know I and we talked about uh, when we talked about uh, Pablo Lorraine that Johnny Greenwood is doing the Spencer score. He did this score as well, and. I think it is, like, an incredible score. It is, like, more similar to his sort of There Will Be Blood score. Um, It's, like, very string-heavy and, like, sort of droning, but, like, not in a negative way where it's just, like, it it really sets the tone of the movie. And I'm trying to pull up the name of the cinematographer. uh, Ari Wagner. Uh, It is a crazy looking movie that I think uh, has the best drone shots of any movie that I've ever seen where it's like it doesn't like you can tell it's a drone shot just by the way it moves but it doesn't you know look any different and it's like these insane mountains uh, that they're filming and like it's a western in the way that I love a western to be like McCabe and Mrs. Miller where it's like there, this is like even less so than McCabe and Mrs. Miller, where there is like gunfights and that, but it is like just like what it must have been like to live at the time, where it's like you are a cowboy in the sense that you like uh, tend to cows, like you aren't like a six shooter, like cool guy, like that. It's like a very like standard life on the ranch movie in that regard, but I think like performance-wise and, like, the subtlety of how they reveal what Cumberbatch's character is doing um, is incredible. And I think, I mean, like, Campion, I think, is one of our best directors living, maybe. Because uh, I don't... There's nothing that I've seen from her that I don't like. And, you know, she took a break between Bright Star and this for, like, 11 years or 12 years, and... Uh, it's just one of the best movies of the year. Um, I mean, she made like two top of the leagues in that time. Well, yeah, but I mean, still, nothing. that's like twelve years. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, it'll be out uh, December first on Netflix. Everyone will be- get to see it, and we might do our Manktacular on it. <laughs> Maybe. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Do you think I, that yeah. that will be a driver of fun conversation? Um, that is an interesting point. I think it is a very good movie to talk about. I don't think we could do, like, goofy make bits like we did for the make. Like, we might be, like, it's not a very bitty movie. Well, anyway, I think those are all the movies that the three of us saw. As part of the film festival. As part of the film festival. Does anyone have their number one, what their favorite movie they saw there was? Indeed. I said what my top three were. I don't think I can pick which one is number one right now. Emilio? Il Buco. Il Buco. Mine's Segura Diaries. Which, if you live in, like, the Midwest, the Chicago Film Festival, I don't know what the dates are. Uh, they're playing Segura Diaries virtually. And I think there's, like, a few states like Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, uh, Minnesota, maybe. Like, a few states surrounding the, that area. Uh, you can watch... Segura Diaries virtually as well as like Petite Maman and um, there's a few others in there that we had talked about um, yeah it's worth checking out and 
yeah, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy also. Oh uh, wait, so can I like, can I talk about Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy? Sure. Yeah, you finished Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, we talked. We like talked about this movie in Berlin. We talked about but it. We I, talked about Berlin. I was like a little Amelia busy. Wasn't on that yeah, I wasn't on that time. I was a little busy, so I would only watch part of it. And after the festival, I was like, you know what? I still want to add something more that played at the festival. What can I do? What can I watch? And I was like, you know what? I'll finish Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. I'll like watch it, and like give it the full shot and, and finish it. And it's like, yeah, that movie's fucking incredible. That movie's fucking yeah, great. I don't know. I was truly stupid to have stopped watching it when I did because I truly. I mean, the best the best part of the movie maybe I, you didn't watch. I truly. It's like I got to. It's like I got to the last segment, and it, I think I truly stopped watching it like truly a minute and a half before it it takes like the turn it takes to become like a sure. great thing. And I was truly like, oh, I'm just such a fucking idiot for not having <laughs> finished the movie because it's wonderful and it's great and everybody should watch it. I know that people are out there standing to drive my car and people are like, watch Drive My Car. That's a great Hamaguchi movie. We'll watch it. I'm sure I will like it a lot. But don't sleep on Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which I'm sure all my yeah. co-hosts have already talked about. But since it's, I guess it's closer to come out now, it is like... Yeah. I think it is coming out this month. Um you October. You should. Um, <laughs> you should for sure. Don't be like, oh, I'll wait for drive my car to get my helmet. Truly watch Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Yeah. First segment really charming. I like it a lot. Second segment I'm a little mixed on, but it has some good stuff. Third segment incredible. One of the better pieces of writing and filmmaking I've seen this year. Segment two number one. Segment Andy's favorite the second one. one. That's really fascinating. It's so funny. I, think, I mean, it's the first one or the third one are my favorites, but I truly love it all. Like Hamaguchi, we talked about Osaka one and two, obviously. Um, I think he's just like incredible. <laughs> I'm very excited to see Drive My Car. Yeah. And maybe one day I'll finally watch all five hours of Happy Hour. Yeah, it's like the first two segments for me are just like, oh, this is like a dynamic I've seen and this is like an interesting exploration of it and I think it's like pretty funny and cool and good. Well, yeah. And then the third one is just like truly, like I almost, I truly almost cried, which I didn't do for any movie in New York I mean, and haven't done in a movie for a long time. <laughs> and there were like a couple of glances where I was like, I am going to weep. This is such a beautiful yeah. thing that this is doing and I can't believe that somebody put this in a movie and like came up with this well yeah cause like the first two segments like it's been a minute but like it's setting up the sort of idea of like chance encounters that you have and then the third one sort of takes that as like what if the chance encounter was fake but you still like feel this connection with this person and like the lead of that segment who's like the person visiting I think that performance is incredible yeah it's incredible and then like the sort of recreations that they do on like the escalator and yeah. stuff is insane i also didn't know about how the way it got made where yes i didn't know this until today either. where the first two segments he made before drive my car and then the yeah. third segment he made after he made drive my car so it was truly like yeah. he took a gigantic break and then finished it which is like insane yeah. to think about and also makes me more excited for drive my car because it's like Wow, you came out of that, and like this is what you made after you came out of that. That must have been like a huge thing. Yeah, I'm very excited for driving my car. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, Maybe. Do we want to talk about Venom Leather Carnage? <laughs> no. <laughs> in 40x, no, worth seeking uh, out in 40x. Dear Evan Hansen, worth seeking out in IMAX. Yeah, I mean, I, I forgot. Got. I saw Cop Shop. Uh, I saw Goodfellas at Film Forum. Me, me, me and Emilio watched uh, Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. That was sick. Watching movies in Man. a theater turns out it's great, especially when you already okay. know the movie's good. Anyway, uh, Andy, yeah. can you do our ending plugs? 
Sure, yeah, I mean, wait. it's just two... Th- wait, wait, wait. What? I don't know if, like, Jesse's going to stitch together an a-, a segment or there might be something added to this, so I'm just going to say right now there might be something added here. All right, I'm now joined by uh, Anne Van Dienderen, one of the directors of Prism, playing at the New York Film Festival. Uh, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Mm-hmm. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... The kind of problem that's at the center of the film around uh, around cameras is a pretty complex one. How would you describe it? And then how did you first get interested in it? Yeah, well, um, I guess it started when I read a book by Brian Winston. He uh, wrote a book called Technologies of Seeing. And he gave the example of the fact that in industries, um, China girls are used to calibrate a camera. And China girls, perhaps I need to explain what it is. It has nothing to do with China, but it has to do with porcelain, uh, as white as porcelain, because it's a format in which mostly white, mostly young women are filmed with a a color bar uh, to calibrate the colors of the camera, but also to calibrate the colors of the uh, print and so on. And it's it's um, a practice that is used since the 20s. And I think it's still going on up till this date. And he used it as an example to say, well, you see a lot of people think that uh, technologies are neutral, that there are some kind of, you know, invention uh, by people in white <laughs> jackets and that they are sort of objective and neutral and that they come up with something. But he says, you see that the fact that they, they choose a white woman as a reference for calibrating the colors of the camera, that's clearly an ideological choice, not a technological, neutral, objective choice. So I I always found this this example extremely fascinating. And I often used it when I was writing articles or um, uh, teaching. But then at a certain point, I thought, wow, maybe I should Maybe I should try to make a film about this example as it is such a persuasive example of how technology and ideology uh, intertwine. So that's when I came up with Lily, which is a short film that I made in 2015 uh, as a sort of a reenactment of um, a take of a China girl. Um, But it was in fact a rather critical um, questioning of why is this practice still happening and why do we as filmmakers accommodate with this practice um, so but when a film was shown um, at festivals um, it got a lot of reactions a lot of questions like why 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 is this still the norm um, and how do film directors of color respond to it? Um, how do you know how do they treat this sort of subconscious racism of technology, if we, you could call it like that? So I thought it was a very 
important and urgent questions. And I, I didn't find any film or any research that had done something about this research question. So that's why when I started um, thinking of how to make a film like Prism, uh, starting from the technological issue, but offering and inviting filmmakers of color to uh, elaborate on this question. So I'm sorry, mm -hmm. it's a little bit a long answer. No, that's, that's, that's good. Um, and so then how specifically did the three of you that co-directed the film come together? How we co-directed the film? How, how did how did the three of you meet each other? Okay. Um, well, to me, it was important that there was some sense of um, affinity with the type of films that we make. And so I was looking into a lot of films and uh, I found a really fantastic film uh, by Rosine Mbakam, uh, which is called The Two Faces of a, a Bamelike Woman. Uh, the film had, has traveled around the globe in numerous festivals. It's a really a great film about her mother who is in who lives in Cameroon and um, who talks about you know sisterhood in Cameroon and feminism, but also it's a reflection on what cinema is. If there was this meta questioning of uh, you know what is cinema uh, to you. Um, to her mother who um, responded to the question that she didn't know and she didn't understand uh, cinema. So it's really, it was really interesting to have this uh, perspective of a, a filmmaker who returns from Europe to her mother and questions cinema in this way. Um, so I was extremely impressed by this film and I wanted to meet the filmmaker and, and we had a click instantly of, uh, <laughs> wanting to collaborate and with Eleonore Yamago it's a little bit the same I saw a film of her she made a film about uh, missionaries French missionaries who um, worked in Congo uh, which also dealt with you know colonialism uh, but from a catholic point of view but so it's a very um, let's say humanistic approach it was very different from Rosine's work, who is really um, criticizing and, and, and problematizing uh, uh, colonial and post-colonial issues and racism and discrimination. Whereas in Eleonore's work, I was struck by the, the humanism and the pragmatism maybe. So I got in touch with them and I uh, asked whether they would like to work together. And uh, yeah, they, so, they said yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool. So, um, the film, the, the way the film is structured, there's, uh, you each direct a segment of the film and they're interspersed with uh, Skype calls of the three of you kind of planning out the film. Was, was the plan always to incorporate that footage? No, no. <laughs> it's actually a film made little by little um, based on, you know, our interest and fascinations and, and conversations. I must um, confess that um, 
in the beginning, I thought it would be a completely different project. It, mm -hmm. I suggested to, it to be a Cadavre Exquis, which is an exquisite corpse. Mm. Is that it mm -hmm. in yeah. English? It, it's, a, it's a game, a uh, children's game, mm -hmm. but it's also used by the avant-garde surrealists. Mm -hmm. You know that you draw uh, a head of a, of a little person and then uh, you fold the paper and then you hand it over to the other person and the other person draws the body and then the other person mm -hmm. draws the legs and so once you have, so you have a collective design uh, where nobody is the author of, of so i thought you know wow this this could be really interesting for this project and so i had already made my part and then i showed it to rosine and eleanor but it was striking that you know it it, it occurred to me they pointed out to me that at, again i was like this white woman setting out the rules of the game about mm -hmm. a film in which people of color, you know, needed to speak out. So they really criticized the fact that I already mm -hmm. had this plan set out. And I was really, you know, I was amazed by my own um, lack of uh, reflection on my own position of power and privilege so mm -hmm. i immediately i said oh yes you're completely right so we dropped the idea of cadavre exquis but we had already my images so mm -hmm. um it, yeah in a way they also reacted to these images but they came mm -hmm. up with a whole new uh, spectrum of of scenes and um i think we at a certain point when we discovered that it was very important that each person had their own um, sequence, that it was also necessary to have us uh, talking about the process of the project um, mm -hmm. to make it clear that you know there was no setup uh, script or there was no setup. It was really a film that made itself while mm -hmm. we were making it without really having many plans or. Um, so that and and I also like the fact that the Skype conversation are there as a way to mm -hmm. criticize our our own production process. So you know you invite right. a viewer, you invite a viewer mm -hmm. to you know this is how we worked. You can say your opinion about it. It's it's transparent about the process of uh, of making the film. And I thought we thought that a film that criticized the process of film technology. Uh, mm -hmm. needs to be transparent itself as a way to open up a discussion on uh, yeah authorships opinion and mm -hmm. so on cool so one of the questions that the film is kind of asking is whether this racism comes from the technology itself or the way that the technology was created or from the uh the usage of the technology and, and that's a a hard question but do you kind of feel like you have any thoughts on that post making the film i think when i it's really thank you for this question mm -hmm. um uh, I think I never asked myself this question, so mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, I think before the project, I was kind of convinced that 
it was really a sort of a, uh, an intentional bias of technology in which people, mm -hmm. white people, you know, set out a procedure, procedure uh, that discriminate people of color. Of course, a lot of people who are using this uh, technology, they are not aware of this racism and they just, mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult to accuse all white men and all makeup people, of, of course, but <clears throat> the, the fact that it was not reflected upon all these years, I thought that was really problematic. But mm -hmm. talking with Rosine and uh, Eleonore and also the people that they interviewed, it was kind of less black and white. Um, mm -hmm especially when you know the um, the woman who is interviewed by um diara sura uh, who is interviewed by eleanor and who is a, a camera woman a dop you know she explains it's really uh, very lucidly that of course skin color is different and of course then lightning has to be different but it's just a matter of people getting educated mm -hmm. and we shouldn't we shouldn't blame the uh, the technology itself but we should you know uh, mm -hmm. help and make sure that people get educated mm -hmm. and are accustomed to this type of, of lightning and makeup and so on so this type of pragmatic point of view was sort of new to me and was I thought very uh, from my my personal point of view an eye-opener Although I also um, was very much inspired by Rosine's take on it, who, you know, took it as a, who took this bias in technology as a way to talk about so many inequalities in society that are inspired mm -hmm. by skin color, which is also a way of looking at the situation that it's, it's so difficult to, um, differentiate technology from ideology ideology how do you know how do you pronounce it uh now i'm wondering how i'd pronounce it uh ideology i guess i'd pronounce it yes ideology <laughs> <laughs> um so in her work and in her questioning of the theme it, it was a completely different take than eleanor had taken mm -hmm. that it you know that it's a, a, an ideological choice and that it's it's apparent in so many layers in society so at this point i i think these several perspectives help to mm -hmm. you know think mm -hmm. about a problem and without really you know fixing answers or you know completely fixing or stopping um the issue i think it's it's a way of inviting people to continue this question Mm -hmm. all right yeah well great uh thank you <clears throat> again for being here uh the film i know uh after playing new york film festival it's going to be released in new york on october 8th and los angeles on october 22nd as well as uh other cities across the u.s uh do you know if there are any plans for it to play in Europe eventually? There will be a premiere in Belgium um, okay. uh, in December 8th, um, hosted by the Arts Centre that 
helped us from the beginning of the project. So we're mm -hmm. really thankful for them mm -hmm. that they encouraged us to do it because, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a difficult project to get uh, money, get, uh, producing the thing was extremely hard. And Rosine also said that it's, it, it was a project that if she would have written down the, the film like she has mm -hmm. made a film and would have proposed it to a commission, then she would be certain that they would, you know, never finance mm -hmm. a film. But because the film was uh, productionally speaking um, made by a white woman, Natalie Heelen, um, it and and it was uh, our uh, production company that that you know that uh, organized it. Uh, we sort of gave Eleonore and Rosine room to do whatever mm -hmm. they wanted to do with mm -hmm. this scene. So um, just to say it was a difficult project to produce mm -hmm. and I'm really happy with the premiere in uh, Belgium. And we are now sending the filming to European festivals. Mm -hmm. We get also invitations. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I hope um, we find nice places and that people, you know, go and... Uh, uh, interact with the film it's it's mm -hmm. a film with questions and with an mm -hmm. invitation to people and yeah yeah definitely and i i look forward to hearing more of those conversations uh thanks again there is a conversation recorded by the festival with the three of us oh great which will, which will appear on their youtube channel so. oh good good yeah definitely check that out as well yeah, and then you also hear, of course, Eleonora and Rosine because it's really awkward mm -hmm. to speak openly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for, for doing this in English. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Andy, plug the end. Great. Uh, we just have two things we like to plug as a show at the end, which is uh, our Twitter, uh, at Can I Kick It, and our letterbox, at C-I-K-I pod. Uh, maybe we'll update that letterbox soon. <laughs> it's been a minute, I think. Um, Cullen is shaking his head. No, we'll update it when we do the... '80s blockbusters next year. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look out for that coming at you in summer of uh, 2022. Um, anyway, uh, me myself. My name's Andy. Uh, you can find me online at Andy T Germ. Uh, you can. That's Twitter, letterbox, etc. Uh, for a personal plug this week, I guess just like the idea of seeing live theater is what sure. I will plug. It's like so meaningful and moving to me that I was able to like breathe the same space as actors acting in front of me once again. Like it's so <laughs> powerful and crazy. It's and a I, crazy thing to see. Yeah. And like all the things I saw this week, I think were really like, particularly they were well directed for the stage. I think like the pacing was really good. I think there were really good like stage effects and like moments of like stage magic that like really, really like transported me through their simplicity, I think. And so um, if you have live theater coming back near you at all, please seek it out. I know the theater that I work at, we're, we're doing live in-person performances inside again. Um, please make sure you're, you know, you're vaccinated and masked up and all that, of course. But uh but do go back and seek it out because it's been really missing in my life and it's so great for me to be able to go back and do that again. Um, if you uh, like the show and want to help support us and want to help us uh, pay off some of these uh, some of these credit card bills I have after uh, spending a week <laughs> in New York City, um, you can uh, send us some money via coffee, ko-fi.com slash can-i-c-a-n-n-e-s-i. -E 
uh, any value that you get out of the show and want to give back is uh, really, really deeply appreciated. Colin. Yeah, I'm quite clear on everything. C-L-A-T-C-H-L-E-Y. I'm getting it to Facebook now. <laughs> everything seems to be good there. Yeah, I'm really getting um, it to Instagram. Got a lot of good Instagram stories. Yeah, I'm going to start doing Instagram stories. Yeah, I got a lot of Insta- good Instagrams from New York. You can watch it um, right. You can watch them right now. Uh, I, I'm going to plug... Uh, ramen Ya in the West Village. It's a ramen place that me and Emilio went to, and it's like the best food I've ever had. You, it's cash only. Uh, get the the spicy tonkatsu and the spicy gyoza. Truly a hole in the uh, wall. And look, I've got a shellfish allergy. I was nervous about having, you know, dashi has bonito flake in it. A lot of stuff uh, can get cross contaminated. No reaction at all. All great stuff. The best ramen I've ever had. <laughs> best food, maybe even. It was so good, Emilio. I mean, I double. I, I want to start by saying I double that thought. It was truly incredible. Truly, I mean, it's not like we're Bourdain or anything, but if like if you're in New York, fucking go to Ramen. Yeah, it was really fucking good, and it was relatively cheap for what it was. Yeah, I mean, especially compared to every other meal we had, where we were paying like a hundred and fifty dollars for four people to get brunch. I mean, we did spend. Like I mean, $50 we went there, to a lot of brunch places for some sure, reason. Yeah. Where uh, yeah, it they, was our they only do, free time. Is that upcharge? Um. Yeah. Yeah, you can follow me shout on... Shout out Skull, shout out Peaches. Yeah, you can follow me on sure. Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. Uh, what am I plugging this week? Oh, yeah, I'm going to plug the New York Yankees. Um, <laughs> went to a Yankee. Did they win at the game you went no, to? They no, they lost. No. But uh, listen, they made the playoffs. Rings. They made the wild card game. They won their, their last game of the season that they needed to win, 1-0. to zero. 27 rings, ball bags. If you don't like it, you can get <laughs> out of here. Uh, the Bronx Bombers, they're in the th- they're in the town. Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, bang the gavel. We all know this. Yeah, I've, we're in the judges' chambers. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a powdered wig right now. Uh, but yeah, our theme song is by Trulated. You can find them at SoundCloud.com/slash/Trulated. I search Trulated on Spotify. And with that, I believe we can release our audience. Yeah, sure. Bye. Bye. Bye.